This is part two in a four-part series. Please listen to part one before continuing with this episode. This series contains graphic discussion and details of violence, sexual assault, and homicide. There's also one instance of misgendering. Listener discretion is strongly advised. Portraits and forensic sketches of unidentified victims and unmatched confessions will be shared on our social media. So please, take a moment to review the images and see if you can help identify the victims. This is The Fall Line. The following audio clips are excerpts from a press conference held by authorities in Fort Myers, Florida, in October 2019. Fort Myers investigators had just learned that Samuel Little confessed to killing a woman in their town in 1984. Little stated in approximately 1984, he killed a black female, 5'6 in height, with brown skin, and she weighed approximately 130 to 140 pounds. He stated that Jean, whose real name is Aurelia Jean Dorsey, used to sell clothing to the woman's family. Little stated he drove the woman to an island in the road, a wooded track of land near some railroad tracks. He strangled her to death and left her in the grass island in short grass. He stated the area was just outside of the city limits. When myself and Detective Dan Lasapio interviewed Little, he provided us with additional details, and I'd like to share them with you all today. Little recall that it was summertime. He indicated that Jean knew the victim's family well and that they shared meals with the victim's family at least once or twice and that she was approximately 26 years of age. He remembered that the victim lived down the street from a liquor store where he picked her up and that it was possibly off a Mockley Road or a Mockley Street. The victim lived with her mother and possibly other people, family members. Again, he recalled that she went into his vehicle in front of a liquor store on a Mockley street or road. He does recall that it was a main street. At the time, he may have been driving a yellow 1978 Eldorado that he bought at a pawnbroker in Fort Myers, or he may have been driving a black Thunderbird. At the time, him and Jean were staying at a hotel near the downtown area of Fort Myers. In August of 2019, while at a homicide conference in Texas, Texas Ranger James Hollins advised me that Samuel Little had recently uh, produced drawings of the Fort Myers victim. Within a few days, I had those drawings in my possession, and I immediately dispersed them to um, our medical examiner's office, the state attorney's office, and surrounding agencies. Keep in mind that although the photographs don't look like much, Samuel Little, according to Texas Ranger Holland, does pull details of the victims and puts them in these in these drawings. And you can see that for yourself if you look at his past drawings with victims that have been identified. Once you have them side by side, you can really see what he pulls out of them. While we are still working by pulling historical death investigation cases, pretty much any case involving the death of a black female from 1970 through the 1990s. We are asking for the public's assistance um, with identifying this, this Fort Myers victim. We have no reason to believe that he is 
lying about this. He's been truthful about the stuff that has been verified. Fort Myers is one of many towns where Samuel Little killed, and there have been a number of similar press conferences held all over the United States, all since the confessions of Little began. Nearly one-third of those cases remain unconfirmed, without a victim to match Little's descriptions, which he illustrates from memory. California and Florida, they saw the worst of his violence but they're also the state's instrumental in his identifications. And it was in Florida that Records Chief Linda Brown would find files to connect him to unsolved cases throughout the Southeast. And so they were able to close some of those Florida cases. But that closing, it doesn't necessarily equal closure. Not for the victims' families. Perhaps not for the investigators either. The best we can hope for is resolution. For some families, that came after Little's conviction in those three Los Angeles cases, when Texas Ranger James Holland first got the killer to really talk. No one knows precisely how long Samuel Little lived in Florida, but CBS Miami reported that he held a few jobs in the state, including trucking and working with the sanitation department. He lived in Coconut Grove at some point. He was in Miami at others. He spent a lot of time in the Everglades, riding Alligator Alley from city to city. That's where we start, on US-27, between Miami and the Everglades. That's where Mary Brosley's body was discovered, back in 1971. Mary Brosley was 33. According to the Sun Sentinel, she was originally from Boston. In fact, she was missing from Massachusetts. She'd been reported as such back in June of 1970. The Sentinel reported that she'd left Boston after a confrontation with her family, who were worried about her drinking problem. By the end of December 1970, Mary had been traveling a long time. When she met Samuel Little at a bar in North Miami, she decided to join him, to ring in the new year. Why did Samuel Little pick Mary Brosley? Why did he start killing As far as we know, only one author has gotten those details out of him and published a story about it. Author Jillian Lauren, who will eventually be releasing a book on Samuel Little, interviewed him while he was in prison. When they spoke about Mary Brosley, this is what he told her. Quote, She was a big old blonde, round about the turn of the new year, 1969 to 1970, Miami, Coconut Grove. She was a hoe, a prostitute. She was sitting at a restaurant booth, red leather, real nice. She crossed them big legs in her fishnet stockings and touched her neck. It was my sign from God, end quote. He drove her out to a deserted area. According to what investigators told CBS Miami, quote, we believe he choked her to death. He said he only partially buried her because the ground was too hard. That might be when Little decided that the Everglades would make the best killing ground. Hard soil or not, it would be another three weeks until her body was discovered. Per the Miami Herald, Mary was partially buried in a shallow grave in North Dade County. Her remains were discovered by a father and son who'd gone on a hunting trip. The Sentinel reports that Mary Brosley was not identified until 2017, when a match was made via dental records. 
Her killer would not be known until 2018, when Samuel Little met with Miami-Dade detectives. Resolution, but not closure. In April of 1971, a little over three months after Mary Brosley was killed, another woman's body was found in South Dade County. According to the Miami Herald, she'd been dead five to 12 weeks before, quote, a mosquito control crew came upon her body in a shallow grave. We found this report confusing. After all, Little said that he'd only ever buried one victim in Florida. But reports of shallow graves can be inexact. A variety of situations, including natural accumulation of leaves and detritus, can mimic the look of a purposeful concealment. Or he was just lying. He's a killer. It wouldn't be surprising. The victim was in an advanced state of decay, and only some physical features were distinguishable. At the time, detectives thought she might be from Cuba. This was because of a label on her bra, Belinda brand. She also had, quote, extensive dental work that was likely done outside the United States. The Herald reported that the type of fillings in her teeth indicated as much. The woman was described as between 25 and 35 years old, though NamUs estimates skew younger from 18 to 25. NamUs puts the victim at roughly 5 foot 4 to 5 foot 8 with long brown hair. The Herald describes her as wearing a flower dress and a chunky sweater. NamUs notes that the victim had a fusing of the neck vertebra that may have affected her ability to turn her head and may have caused her to stoop. This victim has never been identified. Samuel Little thinks that her name might have been Sarah, but Donna was a possibility too. Neither name has brought investigators anything, though they were able to match his confession to the physical description of their Jane Doe. He told investigators that he strangled her in Kendall, Florida, but not much else has been made public. Little has done a portrait of the victim, and NamUs has posted reconstruction art. But if this victim had family in the United States, authorities haven't found them. Little claims that he killed another woman, Karen O'Donohue, around this time. Sometimes he said it was as early as 1967. That's according to CBS Miami. And Little's portrait, which he titled Scandinav Girl, is marked 1972. He has indicated that this portrait is of Karen O'Donohue. We guess that investigators must have shown him a picture of her because if he was responsible for her death, he never knew her name. But we also know that Karen O'Donohue was alive until at least 1969 because that's when she was reported missing from Springfield, Massachusetts. How she might have made it to Florida and when, we don't know. She may have met Little in Homestead. We know so little about her. Karen O'Donohue was an Air Force nurse. She was 25 when she disappeared. She was tall, about 5 foot 8, and she was blonde. Little also confessed to another Florida murder during this period. There's scant information available on the woman he called Linda, who he said was a 22-year-old black woman who he picked up in Miami. Little drew her with dark hair worn in a kind of bun or perhaps a pompadour at the crown of her head. He told authorities that she, quote, reminded you of a girl, a child really, because she was only five feet tall. According to Little, she was living in a hotel on North Miami Avenue, and that's where he left her body, 
right behind the hotel, in full view of the windows. He was able to tell investigators that the hotel was near a bus station in the Biscayne Boulevard area. He wrote a note in the corner of her portrait, then scratched it out. But some of the words are partially legible. AFR base for Air Force Base and the letters M and E. Perhaps he initially misremembered this victim as another woman, who is referred to in another portrait as Air Force Base Girl. We think we know who he meant. There was another victim, whose details are almost wholly unavailable, who was allegedly murdered near the Homestead Air Force Base in Florida. In fact, she might have worked there. No physical description accompanies her case, but there is another portrait of a black woman with long, dark hair pulled back from her face. According to Little, that victim was 28 years old. His drawing style makes it hard to describe the victim's height or weight or skin tone. He shades their faces so they look like they're in the shadows or half-lit in sickly yellow light. Another victim is reported, quote, sometime in the mid-70s. A woman named Emily who might have worked at the University of Miami. That's all the newspapers can tell us about her, and there isn't yet a portrait to provide even a basic physical description. Regarding Little's early 1970s crimes, there's often scarce detail. But, occasionally, he has provided investigators with more. There's the woman he remembers as Marianne, who was living in Miami in 1971 or 1972. A videotape discussion of Marianne's case is one of the few that's been released by the FBI in a plea for the public's help. Just a note, the following FBI interview includes an instance of misgendering. Little says he was actually introduced to Marianne's roommates. After he met her at a bar in Miami, he drove her home. And according to the FBI, Little came inside Marianne's apartment that's when a roommate asked if they could, quote, go back out and pick up some shaving cream. Marianne stepped back into Little's car, and it was the last time her roommates would ever see her. Tell me about Mary Ann. She what you not date to call a transgender. She's a black male dressed up as a female. Okay. How tall is, is she? Mary Ann's about five, seven, seven, five, six. She weighed about 135, okay. one, maybe 140. And how old do you think she was? But she was 19. Okay. And where was she from? No, Miami, down in Liberty City. Okay. And did she, um, you mentioned before she had a boyfriend, or she talked about a boyfriend? Her name Wes. Wes? Yeah, yeah. And tell me about where you met her at. I've seen her down at the Guar on 17th Avenue. And she had on a short cream miniskirt, <clears throat> cream and red. So then this opportunity popped up mm -hmm. to take her to the store. Right. Instead of me bringing her back to the apartment, I went down to the Street. That's going down to uh, Fort Lauderdale, mm -hmm. called Gator, the Alligator Alley. It, it turns into, it runs into Alligator Alley. Right. But the further out you get, Further you get out of Miami, right. and you, you got vegetation in there. Now, how far outside of Miami do you think you were? About, it wasn't too far out of Miami, right okay. there. I was in my stepdad's car, Pontiac, 
remains. Now, where did you take her to? Continue down 27. Mm -hmm. Got back on 27. Going outside of Miami. Okay. Miami. Going away from Miami. Going away from Miami. We yeah. got down past the, um, past the, let's say, limits. So I continued on toward Fort Lauderdale. Okay. And I seen a road going off the main road back into vegetation mm -hmm. on the left side. So I got her out of the car, pulled her out, and drug her into the ropes back there. And pulled her deeper into the, there's a path, a little path was running somewhere, I don't know where it led it to, mm -hmm. but it was running deeper into the undergrowth. Mm -hmm. it, it's like uh, Everglades like that. And we ran into uh, uh, some water running. And, but before we got to the water, the earth was mushy. I turned her loose and mm -hmm. she fell into it face down. And how far outside of Miami do you think you were? About a mile, two miles. He doesn't tell us anything about Marianne's last moments. Not from her perspective. Did she fight? Was she conscious as she was dragged out at least 200 yards into the wetlands? For how long? All we're given is this from the FBI. Marianne is described as a black trans woman, 18 to 19 years old, and approximately five foot seven. And Samuel Little, he won't give up any other details. Like everything else, it's about power. Someone wrote to Samuel Little asking about the location of Marianne's remains. Little wrote back, Marianne will never be found. God bless. But Marianne had friends and roommates living together somewhere between Brownsville and Liberty City in Florida. Was she reported missing? If so, that file is gone. Perhaps her friends didn't feel safe enough to contact the police. If they, like Marianne, were sex workers or trans, attracting official attention would have been its own danger. In the summer of 1971 or 1972, Samuel Little drove away from the Florida Everglades without incident. What happened to the woman he called Air Force Base Girl? The woman he thinks was named Linda? Where did he hide Marianne? We don't know. Perhaps their remains are in the Everglades, still are. All told, there's over a million acres of land there. Even if we narrowed down the search parameters to areas just along the routes and highways, there would be incredible amounts of ground to cover, and maybe they're not there at all. In a few cases throughout the U.S., investigators have theorized that a few of Little's victims actually survived and fled the scene when they were able to move. More likely, though, these women were lost to the wetlands and to the animals that lived there, the alligators, the smaller predators, even the fish, the turtles, they make short work of everything. If these women were ever reported missing, investigators haven't been able to match their portraits to names. If Samuel Little left Florida in 1972, if we trust his reckoning, he killed six women in the Sunshine State in less than two years. Then he headed north, Soon he was in Ohio, where his grandparents lived. There he met a woman who would become his traveling companion and girlfriend. 
Her name was Aurelia Dorsey, but she went by Jean, and she was old enough to be his mother. She was 70, and he was 40. Details of Jean's life remain mostly mysterious. We know they traveled together until her death from illness in 1988. We know she had a long string of arrests herself for theft, shoplifting, receiving, those kind of crimes. She has a family, but they, those who are still left, have remained quiet. According to our fulfilled FOIA requests, Jean was in poor health when she met Samuel Little. She had to take at least one heart medication, but she and Little were able to support themselves by shoplifting and reselling the items around towns they visited. Sometimes they made deals with women or families of women who Little would later kill. No one ever described Jean as having participated in a murder, and there were a few survivors who might have been able to speak about her. But according to a teenager who traveled with Little and Dorsey later in the early 1980s, Jean didn't ask any questions either. The mid-1970s saw Samuel Little all over the map. In fact, from 1972 until 1976, Samuel Little stayed on the road, except for some short stints in jail. He was arrested many times in many states for rape, for theft, DUI, but rarely in prison for any significant length of time. And he was killing in Nebraska, Maryland, Louisiana, Arizona, Tennessee. But Miami seemed to call to him. Next to Los Angeles, it was the city where he most often killed. He would drive south again and again. Florida still has plenty of wilderness, and some investigators have theorized that it was the Everglades that drew little, though they haven't asked him. In fact, in an interview with Miami-Dade investigator David DeMarc, CBS Miami reported that detectives weren't allowed to ask little about his motives. Quote, the detectives were cautioned that it might make Little stop confessing. DeMarc and his fellow detectives had gone on to question Little about all the South Florida deaths, including the murder of Miriam Angela Chapman, who was killed in 1976. It's unclear how long Little had been back in Miami. He'd been arrested in Macon, Georgia in April of that year for a DUI, but he was in Florida again by May. He made his way back to Miami, a town where he felt comfortable in selecting women from the margins. And that's where he met Angela Chapman. Angela has been matched to a case and a body, but there was some trouble with a full identification, at least at first. She went by both Angela and Miriam, and for a while, investigators weren't sure of her real name. The multiple social security numbers that they originally pulled didn't seem to belong to her either. But according to our research, her real name was Miriam Eileen Chapman. She was born in Indiana, where she had a husband and children. But she lived out her last in Florida, in Samuel Little's car. Angela, who was just 25 when she was killed, was a sex worker. She reportedly had a cognitive impairment, although the specific details of her condition are unclear. We know per the Miami Herald that Angela was working out of a few motels in Liberty, Florida, and she seems to have met Samuel Little at one of them. The Courier Press describes her as a white woman with blonde hair. She was small, 5'2", and 100 pounds. She was last seen alive with, quote, a black man who had a goatee. 
The motel manager remembered him because he had, quote, offered to paint a mural on the side of the building. Samuel Little later confirmed that he was the one with Angela, that he took her out to the Everglades. Angela would have been miles away from any town, from help, when Little stopped in the wetlands. It's unclear whether she knew that she was in danger. All we know is that, at some point in the night or early morning, Little parked his car at what the Courier Press reports as the remnants of a half-finished industrial park, long abandoned to the wetland that had grown up and around its concrete skeleton. Little told investigators that he'd begun to drown Angela, to hold her head below the muddy water. He didn't manage it. Maybe Angela fought him. We don't know. Samuel Little said that he strangled Angela and left her in the Everglades, where her body was discovered a few days later. The Miami Herald reported that she was wearing shorts and a red top, easily spotted on the muddy bank of the canal where Little had left her. The Courier Press wrote that Angela's acquaintances, who were mostly other sex workers, couldn't tell police very much. They knew that she had family in Indiana, that she was, quote, naive. She was still very young. One thing we're robbed of in these stories, of Little's victims who we don't know much about or who haven't been identified or matched to open cases, is the context of friends and family who could paint a picture of their loved ones for us, the individual, the specifics that make a life and a personality. Samuel Little is committed to telling stories on his terms. He firmly situates his victims as objects. If he truly has a photographic memory, the details he chooses to share are those that please him. To take Angela and all the other women and girls from object to subject, we need answers. And according to the Courier Press, there's been little Indiana coverage of Angela's case. To quote author Jack Webb, quote, Chapman's name has been strewn across the media in the last few months. She'll be mentioned in the middle of a story and then quickly thrown away. It hasn't been enough to find those who might know her and are willing to discuss her. Even after 44 years, she's still not the right kind of victim. Little has said that there was another victim in the late 1970s, a woman he calls Plant City Girl. But we haven't found any cases that match the year he specified. We did find the case of a woman named Mildred McPherson, who was murdered in Plant City, Florida, in 1982. Her body was found in a vacant lot six days after her mother reported her missing. Could she be Plant City Girl? There's nothing available on her, save a single Tampa Tribune article from October of 1982. That would have been a month after the murder of Patricia Mount, who was killed in Gainesville, Florida. Plant City is just two hours south of the bar where Little encountered Patricia Mount on September 11th. The timeline here is shaky because Mildred may have been seen after her mother reported her missing. And we know Samuel Little was in Louisiana and Mississippi after Patricia Mount's death. But if Mildred McPherson is by chance Plant City Girl, then she and Patricia Mount were killed days apart. That would mean an aberration in Little's known timeline, but the possibility is there. Every day in America, 60 million packages are delivered, but we don't always know what's inside. 
He bent down to pick the package up. That's when the device detonated. Danger is everywhere, and no one is safe in Austin, Texas, as law enforcement hunts a serial bomber for 19 days. From Sony Music Entertainment, Campside Media, and Pegalo Pictures, this is Witnessed. 19 days. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts to binge all episodes or listen weekly wherever you get your podcasts. Between 1976 and 1982, Samuel Little and Gene Dorsey stayed on the move, crisscrossing the Southeast and heading up as far north as Ohio. According to the teenager who spent time with them on a leg of their journey, they weren't an affectionate couple. They argued, and Little could be abusive. And that teenager reported that Dorsey didn't drive much. She claimed bad eyesight, but she was along for the ride. And during this period, Little committed as many as 30 murders. At this time, there were three survivors of his attacks, too. Two of those women would later take the stand against him, decades after the fact. You'll hear about them later in this series. We have a good account of at least some of the time Little spent in Florida, in 1982, because of the third person in tow. According to the Gainesville Sun, this teenager met Little and Dorsey at a motel in Little Rock, Arkansas, and Dorsey had offered to help him find employment if he'd do some of the driving. With few other prospects in his immediate future, he decided to ride along. Because he was an adolescent at the time, we'll call this traveling companion Jack. Jack is still alive today and easy enough to find, but we didn't contact him. There's never been any indication that he was responsible for any crime. Perhaps he suspected what was happening, but he was traveling with Samuel Little, so his main focus might well have been on his own survival. According to the Gainesville Sun, Jack traveled with Dorsey and Little throughout the Southeast for at least a few months. He was staying with them, mostly in hotels, when several of the murders occurred, but he claimed not to know anything about them. And he was with them when they headed down into Florida in 1982. While they were in Marion County, just outside of Ocala, a young woman named Rosie Hill disappeared. When her body was found, little Dorsey and Jack had moved on to Gainesville. Rosie was a young mother who'd moved to Florida to live with her grandparents. Her own mother told WREG Memphis that Rosie was a kind, loving girl, that she'd been a good child who earned high grades. But according to Mrs. Hill, Rosie had run into some trouble in Florida, what kind her mother didn't know. In early August, Rosie had called home to say that she was mixed up in something and she'd need to leave town, head back up home to Tennessee, but she never got the chance. Four days later... Her body was found on the side of a country road. Per WREG, she was identified by x-ray of a pelvic injury, but her mother had a hard time believing it was true. Mrs. Hill told WREG, quote, We went down there and nobody knew anything. Much of Rosie's body was decayed. I'm thinking in my mind that it wasn't her. She couldn't deteriorate that quick. For two years, I waited for a call or even for her to come home. It really tears the family up. I raised her child. At some point, the local authorities did question Samuel Little, but according to WREG, he denied involvement. And he'd be involved in another murder investigation within the next month. Though Little and his traveling companions had left Florida for Louisiana after Rosie's death, 
They were back in the state by early September. They headed down to Gainesville. That's where Little met Patricia Mount. According to witness statements we received in a FOIA response, Samuel Little met Patricia Mount at a Gainesville bar, Willie Mae Hodges Beer Tavern. He tried to pick up several women that evening, including one who later called the police to offer information, but he hadn't had any luck. That's when he set his sights on Patricia, who was on the dance floor. Per the Gainesville son, Patricia, who was a regular at the bar, was intellectually disabled. Later, it would be repeated in numerous local news articles that she, quote, had an IQ of 40. Patricia was a heavy drinker and sometimes ended up in altercations with other patrons. The Gainesville Sun reported that she'd gone to the police station the night before to report that she'd been beaten, but few other details are available. We know Patricia participated in a Gainesville adult training program and that she married a man that she'd met there who would pick her up from the tavern. But on the night of September 11th, 1982, Patricia left with someone else, Samuel Little, in what multiple newspapers describe as a wood-paneled station wagon. The next morning, Patricia's body was found in a nearby field. The scene was violent, and both blood and bodily waste were evident. She'd been manually strangled, and the police believed her killer had been behind her when she died. Her clothes were strewn around the ground, ripped and soiled. As for Samuel Little, who was going by Sam McDowell that trip, he'd gone back to the motel where Jean and Jack waited. But he hadn't slipped in and out of town without notice. Not this time. Witnesses remembered him, and the information was shared with county investigators. They began to look into this Sam McDowell. The Gainesville Sun reported that when Linda Brown, the records office chief we interviewed last episode, found the Samuel Little slash Sam McDowell files, she also discovered something else. Way back in 1983, authorities suspected that Little had murdered many more women than Patricia Mount. Quote, the file also contained a letter to the county sheriff's office sent to the Little Rock, Arkansas Police Department, asking for help in locating a witness known to have traveled with Little around the time. In that 1983 letter, investigators indicated Little could have been involved in the murder of about 60 women throughout the United States. What was done with that information? We wish we could tell you. At some point in the early 1980s, Jack was interviewed. We have the tape. The witness, Jack, was questioned in regards to Patricia Mount's murder and other homicides in Florida. In the following section, there's discussion of the stains in Little's car, which appeared after the night Mount was killed. Jack remembered specifically because of the strong odor in the vehicle. You'll hear detectives questioning Jack about the deaths of Rosie Hill and Patricia Mound, though they don't mention either by name. The following tape is over 30 years old, so the sound quality isn't high. If you have any difficulty understanding the following exchange, you can read a transcript on our website. Check the show notes for a link. Also, there's frank discussion of rape. Please skip ahead roughly nine minutes if you want to avoid this portion of the interview. Did she ever, did she ever, or did Sam ever go to a pawn shop? Never went to a pawn shop. What they do with jewelry? Fed it, you know, straight. Go to the PBC meeting. Why did Aurelia or Miss Dorsey go to the hospital while she was in the county? 
She said she had to go get some peace in her heart and blood pressure. Did she ever have heart and blood pressure problems with yourself? You kept, but you know, she laughed a lot because one night you got to, the motel ain't got no name to it. You was not, you know, me and him and her was doing some exercise, you know. He said, you know, this, the, the, my dad said, he don't like for her to learn because she got a heart problem, you know. But then she told me she couldn't hardly drive because her eyes were messed up. So one night, one day, I you know, I felt like I couldn't park the car right, you know, I kept parking it sideways. See, she, you know, she got kind of upset, so I said I couldn't, you know, know how to drive. So I said, huh, you do it. She parked the car straight. If you were to describe Sam, would you say him to be smart, dumb, medium? Medium? And not real smart, but not real stupid either. Man. What about her? She thinks she's gonna get, you know. Hmm. Can she, let me ask you this, does she, can she read and write? She, she can't see, so. I'm saying she can't see. It, no. How old is she? She'll be seven in January. What's she doing being Sam's old lady? How old is she? 42. He ain't never told you why he got a 70 year old old lady? They first met me, she told me, she first met him, he was in jail in Georgia. And she, he was going to get named Lucy, this missing chicken named Lucy in Georgia. And Miss Dorothy was in jail, she said she got out. She said her brother, you know, brought her a house, brought her a car, you know. She said she checked. Said Lucy tried to get claimed 27 years or something like that. And Miss Dorothy wrote, said she wrote a note uh, to the jewel saying that. What did Sam do to Lucy to try to get 27 years? She said. Assault or something? No. Uh, Sam tried. She said Sam raped her or something. Oh, okay. Sam. And did he escape or just cut out? They let him go. She, she got him out. You know, I'm not. She got him all on bond. And he didn't go back. He didn't go back. It was a rape charge? I think so. Something like that, you know. He really didn't want to give it too much to it because he didn't want to do so he didn't know the truth. While you were in Ocala, this is the first and the second time. Did Sam or Dorsey ever mention, well, did Sam ever, ever mention the names of any girls that he was dating besides Miss Dorsey? Did Miss Dorsey ever Tell you any names of some girls that Sam was dating? Because, um, he wouldn't tell me because he thought I'd tell her. And she wouldn't tell me because she thought I'd go back and tell her, tell him that she knew something about him. Did Sam tell you that he had dated any girls other than Miss Dorsey while he was in Ocala on Gainesville? He said no. I know he grew up to date girls because he won't be going out just be drinking. So I think, yeah, he'll go out, he'll go out and they get Did he ever say whether he paid him or not? He won't get, he never gave a woman no money. He, he was about something against the money. Did Sam ever mention the first names of any of his friends in Ocala? No. Okay, just a few more questions and then we'll, uh, we'll stop for now. That brown stuff he said was in the back seat of the car. Those two nights that Sam came home, or rather he came home the next morning, right? Yeah. 
Where were you staying when he came home those mornings? At the motel down the street from the sheriff's department. Okay. And who cleaned out the car? Miss Dorothy. Yeah. Every moment she would get up, when he come in, get out, get a burger, get some rotten or something, and clean out the car. Okay. We would like to ask you now some questions in reference to dead girls that uh, have shown up throughout a couple of states. In Ocala, in August, we found a body of a nude black female in the woods, right out in here. We have reason to believe that she was picked up at a bar in Ocala and transported out there. Do you know anything about that at all? Has anybody told you that they had anything to do with that at all? Did you have anything to do with it? No, sir. Were you with anybody when they picked up a black female at a bar? No, sir. Were you with anybody when they when they strangled somebody? No, sir. Has anybody told you that they strangled or killed somebody? No, sir. If they did, no. I don't know. If they did, would you tell me right now? Yes, sir. Okay, sir, very good. Okay. Do you know anything about another girl that was found? This is a white girl. She was found up in Gainesville on September the 12th, okay? She was a white girl. She was found with no clothes on and she was strangled. How was she raped? Excuse me? Was she raped or anything? I don't know if she was raped. Why would that matter? Because, I mean, you know, when said with me, they say, Mr. McDowell been coming here for a year to the Pasadena village. They say he raped about six, seven girls, prostitutes. They say he raped them from behind. They say he left, scratched all in their face and on their neck. And, you know, he say he gonna get some, uh, some money, you know, told he's from Mobile because of Tinko had out of bounds tax. He told you that guy in Sarawit? Yes, he knew all the girls that, you know, did that, that happened to him. Do you know anything about this at all personally, though? No, sir. Were yeah. you with anybody when they picked the girl up and carried her out there? No, sir. Did anybody, has anybody told you that they went out there? This interview gives us some insight into Little and Dorsey's relationship and also a sense of how much time she spent cleaning up evidence. Other news outlets have described their relationship as at least emotionally abusive, but there's not a lot of detail there. Cleveland Magazine reported that Little often said that Dorsey was, quote, nothing to look at, but that they stayed together until her death in 1988. She died of a brain hemorrhage while the pair were in Los Angeles. What did Jean Dorsey think about Little? What did she suspect that he'd done? So far, no one knows. Or if they do, they're not telling. Our FOIA fulfillment included material from many interviews, like Jack's, but much of the tape was too damaged to make sense of. What Jean Dorsey said to police, if anything, is unknown to us. But there was one more important segment there. When Little's picture was published in the local paper, one of the women he'd seen at the bar the night of Patricia's murder called the investigators. Based on that picture in the paper, she didn't think it was the same man, the Sam McDowell who'd been at the beer tavern. She remembered a different haircut and facial hair. And she specifically described a tattoo on the suspect's arm, 
a heart and cupid combination on the left forearm. Whether Samuel Little had or has that tattoo, we can't say. We've been unable to find a picture. This witness was fairly certain that Sam McDowell hadn't been the man who took Patricia home that night, but he was chosen out of a lineup by other witnesses. The witness remembered that the man she'd met had been friendly, buying drinks and hitting on herself and her cousin. When Little himself was questioned, he mentioned that same witness by name and said he'd had a friendly talk with her at the tavern. Her escape had been more narrow than she realized. Eventually, Samuel Little, as Sam McDowell, was charged in Patricia's murder. He went to trial in 1984, just after a grand jury declined to charge him in a Mississippi case that you'll hear more about in Episode 4. At this point in Florida, the state's case was made on two major points— forensic hair and fiber analysis, and witness statements. USA Today reported that a fiber analyst took the stand and stated that hairs found on Patricia's clothes, quote, had the same characteristics as head hairs taken from Little. But when cross-examined, the analyst said, quote, it was also possible for hairs to be transferred if two people bumped together. After all, they'd been in the same bar. Per the Gainesville Sun, quote, Jurors deliberated less than half an hour before acquitting him. Both the prosecutor and the defense told reporters that the case against McDowell had been weak. And Samuel Little was free. According to his recollection, he killed again in Florida that very same year, 1984. That's the case of the woman known as Fort Myers Girl, a victim Samuel Little drew during his work with Texas Ranger James Holland. You heard about her case at the top of the episode, or rather, the confession. So far, authorities haven't announced a case match, either to a missing person or to an unsolved homicide. That said, around the same time as that October 2019 press conference, police indicated that they may have identified the victim's mother. There have been no further updates or elaboration. WYNK News reported the following, quote, Little told detectives the murder of a woman in our area was one of the easier ones. Little claims the woman got into his car near a liquor store on Immokalee Road or maybe Immokalee Street. He said, where do you want to go? And she said, just drive anywhere, something to that effect. And it was at that point he said, she's gonna die, end quote. Per WYNK, Investigators had brought one open case to Little, a black woman of approximately the same height and weight as the victim he described. But he, quote, quickly denied that was her, and the case remains open. The Fort Myers victim was about 5 foot 5 and around 130 pounds. According to Little, she, quote, had a brown complexion and long dark hair. In Little's portrait, it's parted so it sweeps over the left side of her face. The very same year of his acquittal, and of the Fort Myers murder, Little says he killed a woman in Tampa, Florida. He titled her portrait, quote, Tampa Dope Girl. She has gotten very little press. There's just that portrait staring out from the gallery of Little's work that the FBI has posted. She is simply described as a black woman murdered in 1984. 
In the portrait, she has long dark hair parted down the middle. She wears a red headband across her forehead, like a crown. There's a red necklace or line at her throat. She isn't smiling. Instead, she peers out at the viewer, watchfully, her head tilted just a little to the side. As in so many other pictures, Little spent most of his time drawing and shading her neck. The last Florida murder came in 1993. Ruby Lane, a 19-year-old, lived in the town of Perry. According to the Tallahassee Democrat, Ruby met Little at a party. That same night, she went missing. It would take seven years for her remains to be found. It would take another 14 years to identify her. In 2014, Texas Rangers reached out to Perry authorities to suggest that Ruby's case fit Little's profile. And eventually, there was a confession. He knew the details, what she wore, the way she died, where her body was left. The district attorney told the Tallahassee Democrat, quote, I don't know if he's looking for fame on his way out or if it's a conscience thing, but I'm glad the family will know who's responsible. The county waived the death penalty. They didn't see a point. Ruby Lane's family had answers. Her name appeared in a few articles. Her school picture was printed in the paper. She looked so serious in it, looking out without a smile into the eyes of the viewer. At least it's not one of his drawings. Next time on The Fall Line, we head across the South, where a number of unmatched confessions and unidentified persons' cases still wait to be resolved. You'll hear more of Little's FBI tapes and from the Georgia Task Force who are helping to close that state's cases. If you have information regarding the unsolved cases we've covered today, please call 1-800-FBI-TIPS. If you would like to speak to a counselor regarding sexual assault, you can call RAIN at call 800-656-HOPE or 4673 to be connected with a provider in your area. You can review the portraits and forensic sketches on our Instagram account. Just search Fall Line Podcast. We'd like to thank all the listeners who've taken time to support our sponsors, leave us reviews, and support our show directly on Patreon. We couldn't do it without you. Special thanks to Angie Dodd. Special thanks also to research assistant Brian Waters, who also served as fact checker for this series. The Fall Line is created by Laura Norton and Brooke Hargrove and is produced and engineered by Maura Curry. Written, researched, and hosted by Laura Norton with interviews by Brooke Hargrove. Research assistants are Kim Fritz, Lex Weathers, and Brian Waters. Additional research by Haley Gray, Jessica Ann, and Lexi Newhouse. Content advisors are Brandy C. Williams, Vic Kennedy, and Liv Fallon. Theme music is by RJR. Our current monthly donation is going to the Sovereign Bodies Institute. Please check our website for other organizations we donate to and which could use your support. Thank you.